0: Well, good evening, church. It's good to be with you again. Um, Today is the anniversary of the death of William Tyndale, one of the finest Christians probably to ever grace this earth with his life. Um, If you're not familiar with the story of William Tyndale, William Tyndale uh, is essentially responsible for the Bible that you hold in your hands today that's written in English. Um, And on this day, he was... Uh, Strangled and burned at the stake simply for wanting to translate the Bible into English for the common man. If you've never heard his story or read his story, I would encourage you to do so. It's powerful, it's convicting, uh, but it's worth reading. And so today is a day where I'm reminded of uh, just the treasure that we hold in our hands right here. Um, What it is to hold a book that comes from God, what it is to read it in the language that we understand. It's an incredible, incredible gift. I grew up in the country of Guatemala, and I remember hearing the story once. um, Tim's around here somewhere. I know Tim was a a son of a Wycliffe missionaries, but um, one of the found, well, anyways, there was a gentleman around the turn of the 20th century who was actually in a small village in Guatemala. It's called Solola. It's on the way down a steep hill that takes you down to a village called Panahachel, which is right on the coast of a lake called Lake Atitlan. It's got two huge volcanoes there. It's a beautiful place. It's one of, quite frankly, one of the most beautiful, breathtaking places you'll see anywhere in the world. But on the way down, this steep slope, you come to this town about halfway through called Sololá. and this gentleman named Cameron Townsend was in Sololá preaching the gospel uh, to a bunch of poor indigenous Mayan people. And at one point, about halfway through his sermon, this uh, old woman... And uh, not that that's a bad thing, but she was just an old woman. She she raised her voice. She raised her voice real loud and uh, disrupted the service. And Cameron Townsend asked his translator, what is she saying? So he asked the lady to come forward and say what she said again. And he tells Cameron Townsend, if your God is so great, why does he not speak our language? And Cameron Townsend was absolutely profoundly impacted by that and became one of the fathers of Wycliffe Bible Translators as a result. Um, So the Bible is a great treasure. It's a great treasure to us. It It is our lifeline and our anchor in a world full of lies and error, and we desperately need it each and every day of our lives. With that in mind, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for its truth. God, thank you for everything that it represents. It doesn't simply tell us the gospel. It doesn't simply share with us about Jesus. It doesn't simply tell us about all that is good about the new life that you offer us in Christ. It tells us that you want us to know you, and that's a marvelous thing. We thank you for that tonight. God, I pray that as we speak again tonight on an apologetic issue, some of these things, as we engage our minds in these topics. God, I just pray that you would cause us and lead us to love you more deeply with our minds. God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, and God, equip us to be the kind of messengers and ambassadors for you that we should be. And I pray that we would seek to be those kinds of people with excellence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well. Uh, earlier, it's filled up a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and tell my joke anyways. But earlier, it looked like the crowd was a little thin. And I thought to myself, did everyone think that Bill is preaching again? <laughs> so anyways, but it seems that the crowd has slowly grown. So um, all that to say, I just want to say thank you. I don't know how many more weeks I'll have left now. Uh I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be with you, to get to know you better uh, as our family are new members here at the church. Um, I, I just, my heart is full of so much gratitude right now. Um, at this point in life, I'm grateful for our pastor. He's my pastor as well as your pastor. I'm grateful for him. I'm, I'm just grateful for his heart for ministry. I'm grateful for the way that. Um, he's just really embraced me and our family and um, s- saw an opportunity and uh, so I-, I just I'm thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful for our children um, for the ministry of this church toward them. Uh, that is a huge priority in our lives right now and uh, we are here in large part because of the ministry of your children's and student ministries and our stu- my son's um, level of growth and I think Uh, comfort uh, in in those ministries. And so I'm just grateful to be here. I'm grateful for your engagement. I love the fact that so many of you have come up to me and talked to me, asked questions, talked about further things afterwards. Uh, I love all of that. Um, So I'm just thankful for the way that you have engaged and stayed with me on some pretty heavy topics at times. Um, And I hope as we kind of move through this topic tonight as well that hopefully there's some things here that can actually help you and kind of benefit you edify your faith, but also maybe help you in terms of knowing how to talk to others about some of these issues as well. Last week, we looked at the issue of whether religion is really bad or not. Is religion bad? Is it toxic? Does it just lead to war and strife and violence? Or is religion something that's offered the world much more than that? I think Christianity has offered the world a great deal, (laughs) much more than that. We talked about some of those things last week. I want to deal with the question tonight of, is there really only one way to God? C.S. Lewis said some years ago um, that it's not the ideas that are being debated, but the ideas that are being assumed that are my greatest cause for concern. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's not the ideas that we're really debating and arguing over, but it's the ones we've all just sort of accepted without any real thinking about it that are the ideas that have become pervasive and influential on us without us even realizing it. And you know, when I think about this question, is there really only one way to God? I'll be honest, I don't even have that conversation with very many people anymore today, and I don't think it's because they just, um, I don't think it's because they probably don't think about something like that, but I think most people just assume, yeah, I mean, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and I think God's going to be cool with all of us, and he's going to look kindly on all of us one day if we kind of do it well and try to treat people the right way. Um, And we just sort of, I think, assumed that that's sort of the way. I don't even hardly have people ask that question, it seems like, in a lot of ways. Um, And uh, nevertheless, it's an assumption that I think we as Christians, and hopefully those of us um, in here that are Christians would agree, is a really bad assumption to make. And it's not an assumption that will ultimately lead to God. And so I want to deal with um, some of the issues related to the question of, is there really only one way to God? I've got three words that start with S for you tonight. We dealt with C, conviction, courage, compassion. Tonight is S. And the first is sincerity. Part of the conversation over there is really is there really only one way to God is the issue of sincerity. There's sort of this pervasive attitude that if you really believe what you believe with sincerity and you work hard at it, that somehow God will just kind of look kindly on you. The problem is that that kind of thought just doesn't apply to much in life in general beyond that, does it? I mean, if I take a test... And I go up to the professor or the teacher afterwards, and I've missed a question, and I say, I really, really, really thought that was the answer. I mean, I was convinced it was right. You should give me credit for it. What do you think that teacher's going to say? They're probably going to look at me like, what planet did your spaceship land here from? We just don't operate that way. There's a lot of people who have done things out of a great deal of sincerity that have been really, really, really bad and wrong. There are some people who have taken other people's lives out of seeking to be sincere to their faith and things of that nature. So a sincerity, faithfulness to one's teaching, um, really a good test. I would say that the degree to which one believes says nothing about the truthfulness of a claim, So sincerity by itself should not be the kind of thing we use as a gauge, whether something is probably right or whether God's going to look favorably on us after this life. One of the topics that sort of like rabbit trails from this topic, and I want to deal with just briefly tonight, is the question of what about people who haven't heard? What about people who are just trying to do the best they can, and they don't know? I will give you two answers to that. Here's number one. Romans 1 is the primary text that you have to keep in mind with this issue. And what we find in Romans chapter 1 is it tells us that God has sufficiently revealed himself in the world around us so as to leave us without excuse. Now, that verse by itself doesn't reconcile all that's difficult, maybe, about that issue. In some ways, it sort of, it says... It says he's revealed himself enough, in essence, to condemn us. But what happens if we don't hear the gospel then that can save us? So yeah, on some level it doesn't reconcile all of those things. But what it does communicate, I believe, very clearly is that all mankind... Is without excuse before God. Usually, when we ask that question, we're assuming the innocence of everyone out there involved (laughs) that hasn't heard the gospel. But does the Bible say we're all innocent? No, the Bible says we're guilty. God has revealed himself sufficiently, and yet we have rebelled against what we know. The second answer, I think it's really probably the most compelling biblical and Christian answer for this issue, is the missionary call. Why would God call us to go take the gospel to people if, in fact, people can be saved if they don't ever hear the gospel, God will just let them into heaven? If that's the case, the best thing you can do is not go say anything to them because then going to them is judgment and condemnation rather than grace and mercy. I think it's probably the most compelling answer for us as Christians as to why that doesn't reconcile with what scripture teaches us. Paul is urgent (laughs) in his concern to get the gospel to those who haven't heard it. Romans, Romans is deep theology. In fact, it's probably the deepest theology we have anywhere in the Bible. But you know why Paul wrote Romans? This tells you a little bit about his personality. Paul is trying to get the Roman church to pay for his mission trip to Spain. So what does he do? He writes about all of this really deep theology to try and convince them. That's who Paul was. But that's what he he was trying to do. There are people out there who have yet to hear the gospel. We have to get it to them. If everyone's safe, if they never hear it, then the most loving thing we can do is leave them alone. But did that reconcile with what we see in the Bible? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's a powerful argument. I think it's a powerful biblical argument for why we as Christians particularly simply cannot accept the fact that, yeah, yeah, those who haven't heard, they're going to be all right. Now, listen, listen, God is great, God is big, God is bigger than us. There are some things that maybe God is doing and some things that maybe are sort of up to him. We want to be as faithful to scripture as we can be. Um, That being said, if we haven't been there, we probably can't tell what's going on there. Am I correct? You with me? Uh, One of my best friends, who was a former IMB missionary in Asia, Uh, tells one of the most moving and powerful stories I think I've ever heard. But he tells a story at one point of going into this one village. And as he entered into this village, these people come up, and they say, we've been waiting for you. Come with us. And so they take him to an older man in in one of the homes. And he says, many years ago, I sought God. I didn't have the answers, but I, my heart longed to know the truth. And God said to me, one day I will send the messenger to tell you that truth. And there was my friend Chris. <clears throat> I've heard stories of dreams and other ways in which God has engaged people, maybe in places where the gospel is inaccessible. And through some of those means, God has been able to speak and, I think, open people's eyes to the realities of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, how much they know, what they know. I can't speak to all of that. But that being said, can we leave to God, to God, (laughs) some of those kinds of things and ways that God may be doing some things that we can't see and understand? I don't ever want to assume that anyone is okay apart from hearing the gospel. That should be my attitude. But beyond that, God is big enough to do some things that maybe we can't see or grasp (laughs) where we are at. So all that to say, God is good, God is fair and just, and God is free to act and to do as he so chooses. Um, So anyways, little rabbit trail on that as far as just those who haven't heard, but I think it's an issue worth the dealing with and worth addressing. That is a question that I get asked fairly frequently, even from young people today. Um, What about these people who haven't heard? And so I think it's worth addressing. Sincerity. Is sincerity a good test for the truthfulness of the gospel? Um, Or excuse me, for... um, whether or not God should let someone else into heaven that's not a Christian? Probably not. Here's number two. Similarity. Similarity. There's sort of this pervasive idea that all religions are essentially the same, right? All religions are basically the same. That's a really, really bad assumption, and it's really, really, really not true, Um, usually people make that claim on the basis that they would say all religions sort of teach some sort of moral or ethical code that seems fairly consistent. (laughs) You know, I mean, the overwhelming majority of religions out there would say what? Well, it's not good to kill. It's not good to steal. Those kinds of rules and regulations by which we guide our lives that we would say there's sort of this general moral understanding Uh, on certain levels of these foundational things that seem to be consistent across all of these different religious perspectives. And yeah, maybe there are some moral ethical rules that are consistent. We would expect that if God has written that on all of our hearts as human beings, whether we're Christians or not. Um, Nevertheless, are all religions essentially the same? I don't think they're, they're even close. Religions are fundamentally different. Simply look at the nature of God Buddhism teaches pantheism, which God is just an impersonal force that's just in everything. It's in the table as much as it is in this ping pong ball as much as it is in this book as much as it is in the stand as much as it is in me and you. It's just, and it's not a person. It's not a personality. It's not someone that we can know or something we can know. And it's really not even in control of everything. This is a very different concept than the way we think about God. Take Hinduism. Millions and millions of gods. Take Christianity. Not only do we only believe in one God, but we believe in the idea of Trinity, one God in three persons. Can those three ideas, to use a big philosophy word, be ontologically true at the same time? In reality, what's really there, can those three things be true at the same time? No. And that hasn't even gotten us into the way of salvation, each of them teaching different ways of salvation because each of us believes that we're going in different directions for different reasons. Buddhism doesn't teach that salvation is the same thing that we have. The end for them is not that I get to spend eternity with a personal God and enjoy him forever because there is no personal God. It's fundamentally different. Religions are fundamentally different different in so many ways. Let me give you some examples. Religions like Scientology. Scientology is a self-improvement cult. The purpose of it is self-improvement. It's not to connect with God. It's not to go to heaven one day. But we would identify that as a religion. What about this? Religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, self-renunciation. This is sort of coming to the end of ourselves and ultimately just sort of being soaked up into this sea of undifferentiated being one day. If you're not sure what that means, welcome to the club. None of us really understand exactly what that means. It just means we sort of cease to exist. What about this? Religions like the fertility cults. Ancient Canaanites believed in these. Baal was a fertility god. I don't know how much you have been taught or know about Baal, Baal was a God that would rise and then die. He would come alive and then die. The way that they looked at life and history was completely different than the way that God in scripture reveals himself with history being linear, that there are events that take place over time, and we can know God, and we can see God, and we can see his work in history. It didn't work that way with Baal. Baal died, he came back to life. Baal died, he came back to life. Baal died. He came back to life. You prayed to Baal as a fertility god for two things. What do you think a fertility god would be good for? Here's number one. It's probably not what you're thinking. We'll do that with number two. Good crops. We need rain. What about number two? We want children. So what would we do as a part of Baal worship? We would go to the temple. We would pay our money. We would sleep with the temple prostitute. That seems appropriate in a fertility cult, probably, right? And then we'd go home, just like that was normal life. That was Baal worship. That was the kind of religion of the people at the time of the Jews, the Hebrew people, leaving Egypt and going up to Canaan. Utility cults, completely different. Their idea of God, completely different than what ours would be. Um, Religions like emperor worship. This was certainly an issue in the first century. We certainly see some manifestations of this even today. In modern day, um, rulers who demand worship, the goal of that has nothing to do with God. The goal of that is political allegiance. It has nothing to do with eternity. Nevertheless, it would be identified as a type of religion. So religions are all very different. They are not all the same in any way, shape, or form. Christianity would fall under the category of a revelatory religion, the idea that God is personal and that God wants to reveal himself to mankind. Not all religions teach that. In fact, very few religions actually teach that, which leads us into our third S word. It's the word silence. So we have sincerity. Is sincerity a good test? If people are sincere, then surely God will look kindly on them, let them into heaven. Well, all religions are basically the same. So, you know, God should probably let everyone into heaven because we're all kind of working toward the same thing and doing the same thing, right? Well, the third one is silence. And the reason I use that word here is because the only way that pluralism works, the idea that lots of roads lead to God, is if God has not spoken at all. If God has not spoken, if God has remained detached from everybody, now all of us are on the same playing field, right? We're all just trying to figure it out on our own. And maybe we think, oh, this seems to be the way. And maybe this seems to be the way. Or maybe this seems to be the way. But in the, way, in the end, how can God judge one over another if they're just trying to do the best they can and figure it out with what they have? Well, they, he can He can't. The only way pluralism works is if God has not spoken. By the way, the vast majority of religions out there, the overwhelming majority of religions, really probably only other than Hinduism, believe that their way is the only way. The people who don't believe that are not a part of most religious systems in the first place. (laughs) Um, They're kind of a unique group in and of themselves. Um, But the issue of silence, and has God revealed himself? And so if God has revealed himself somewhere, even if it's not in the Bible, if God has revealed himself somewhere, now there is, one, the implication that God wants to be known, and now the responsibility with what God has revealed. So we're responsible for coming to know what God has revealed. So really, the idea that there's lots of ways to God, God's just gonna kind of let everyone in, it only really makes sense if God hasn't spoken at all. But if God has spoken, then now we know the truth, and now we know the way. So for those of us that are Christians, If we believe God has revealed himself in scripture, that it is a divine document that comes from him and not just from man, it would make no sense to believe that there are other things out there. Unless, of course, maybe God revealed himself in some of those things as well. But when we look at those other things, do we see him telling us the exact same thing he tells us in here? No. They say different things. So I think we can assume at that point, if we believe firmly that this is from God, that those other things aren't. Sincerity, similarity, and silence. Lots of other tangents and rabbit trails we could take on some of those subjects, questions to ask, um, but those are just a few points that hopefully can help us as we think about that subject and whether it um, really, really makes sense. One, does it make sense from the Bible? And two, just does it really make sense, period? Um, as we just try to be reasonable uh, and figuring out the truth. And so um, we would say as Christians, no. God has revealed himself in Scripture. The way of salvation that God has revealed in Scripture is the way of salvation for all men. And it really cheapens the work and death of Jesus Christ (laughs) um, to claim that people can find salvation in some other way. Let's pray. God, we give thanks. God, we give thanks for Christ. We give thanks for the truth. We give thanks for the gospel. God, we thank you that you have been gracious and merciful to us. God, I pray that we would be humble. God, in the reality of being those who are saved by grace, not of our own works. God, it is simply mercy that we know the truth, that we have heard the truth, and that we believe today. And so we thank you for that. God, I pray that we would be faithful messengers, not as those who believe these things because it's what we decided it would be, but God, we believe these things because you have told us that it is such. God, that we would be faithful messengers of the truth to those around us. God, I pray also that we would be urgent in our commitment to share the gospel. And I just pray, God, that we would be um, bold and courageous Uh, to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.